Hello, everyone, and welcome to Break the State Podcast, episode number six. As always, I'm your host, Dunk Limpman, and joining me today on the podcast to discuss property rights in a stateless society is The Marauder Project, who many of my listeners will know was a recent victim of the big zuckening over on Instagram and Facebook. You can find his new page on Instagram at marauder.rises, that's M-A-R-A-U-D-E-R dot R-I-S-E-S, marauder.rises. Before I get started today, I just wanted to mention that if you're a fan of this podcast and would like to support what I'm doing here, I'd love it if you considered heading over to anchor.fm forward slash break the state forward slash support, where you can become a contributor for as little as 99 cents per month. Again, that's anchor.fm forward slash break the state forward slash support. And now without further ado, this is break the state podcast episode six. All right, this is Break the State Podcast, Episode 6. As always, I'm your host, Dunk Limpman, and joining me today is the Marauder Project. Uh, Marauder, how's it going, man? Going great, man. Good to be on. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate you coming on. I was actually, um, for those that don't know, I was supposed to have uh, Marauder on um, last episode, two weeks ago, but he actually got zucked uh, from Instagram at what, like, 20,000 followers? Yeah, twenty. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so tell me, man, what, what happened with that? Do you know if uh, there was like a particular post that got you zucked or did they just disappear you? <laughs> yeah, so um, if you guys follow A Polite Society, he and I are kind of good buddies on, and he, uh, he uh, Tony Phillips and uh, Wendy Goon, he's mm. a boogaloo boy on uh, Instagram. We're all like in a group and I got a message from a polite society and he's just like, Hey, it was while I was working one day and he's like, Hey dude, uh, your page is gone. So I checked and lo and behold, actually the night beforehand, whenever it was happening, I had like come to grips with the reality that it would probably happen to me. And so I was kind of expecting it to happen and I was not put out at all. Like I just Mm -hmm. come to peace with it already. And so it happened and, um, checked it it was gone but also what was gone was my backup and my armed naturalism page which is like a environmentalism page yeah and so those were all gone and but my personal was fine so Mm. it was quite obviously a a targeted thing and so whenever i got it was just one after another they said uh, hold on just one yeah no problem sorry did you did i fall away there (laughs) No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Okay. Yeah, my earphone fell out again. But um, <laughs> so the, I got a message from Instagram. It was me. Whenever I tried to log back in onto the Marauder Project and said, we've detected unusual activity on your um, account. Account has been deactivated. Log out. And it just gave me an option, like one one button that said log out. And so I clicked that. And then it happened for my backup and for armed naturalism. But um, so going off of that, uh, I just figured that it was like 
it was a done for thing. And so I tried to make another page and it said it would let me go with the entire making process. And then mm. right as I hit like create page, create account, it would say we have detected unusual activity um, request canceled or something requested. <laughs> and so that never happened. And eventually I, I uh, tried to appeal the Marauder project. And the first time it wouldn't let me appeal it. But after I think it was the next week I tried to appeal again and it let me appeal it. And, and you're allowed to like have an explanation as to why you want to appeal it. Right. And I, I said like, um, I, I'm sure that these bannings have something to do with the political election. I didn't take any side. Like that's kind of the point of my page is like, I, I do not like politics at all. And I mm. said, so the only things that I can see for Instagram deactivating my page would be political or religious um, discrimination. And so I, for a few, which is obviously like kind of just trying to reach for a reason to appear. They're obviously a super progressive company. So right. I'm reaching for something to try to get my page back. And so heard nothing for, um, I don't know, a couple hours. And then, but on my personal page, there's that option to log into other accounts that you have. And mm. for that time, Marauder Project, Arm Naturalism, and the backup page, the names were still there, but the uh, profiles were black. And after a few hours, I looked, and they were just all gone. So I'm guessing they just got full-on deleted at that point. And then, but I got a text message from the Instagram um, messaging service that oh, said, wow. reset your password. And it, I could tell it was it wasn't like some some spam or anything like that because it was the right. same messages I had used to reset passwords beforehand. And so I clicked on it, and it took me to a old page that I used to run that I had lost interest in. It was like um, it was back when I was a neocon trying to do <laughs> uh, some sort of uh, fraternal organization through the Marauder Project that I just mm. lost interest in and stopped doing. So I guess they were throwing me crumbs or something like that. <laughs> so I just, I guess I took it, but yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. I mean, um, I woke up and I just saw a bunch of people posting, um, you know, all these screenshots of all these different pages that had gotten booted. And I remember that you had posted like, Hey, go follow my backup just in case. So I followed both of your backups and then sure enough, like an hour later you were gone everywhere. I was like, Oh shit, dude. Yeah. That was rough. yeah. I, mean, I had come to, I had come to terms with it beforehand, so it wasn't that bad. Right. Right. It's just, it's kind of crazy. I mean, um, uh, Jay from anti-state, he was, you know, sending me screenshots where he lost, you know, hundreds and hundreds of followers just like poof, you know, overnight. So yeah, kind of a trip. Um, so yeah, so you know the the original reason I wanted to have you on, I have been I've had a lot of people ask me questions about um, like homesteading and you know property rights and things in a stateless society specifically. Um, one question that I've gotten asked is uh, you know what would happen to like the national uh, the national parks in a stateless society um, when the government no longer controls those areas. So you know, I asked some people, you know, who should I have on to talk about this? And a lot of people recommended you. So I was like, all right, you know, so I'll uh, have them on and 
kind of discuss some of those things. And then with everything else that's been going on lately, I thought we might, you know, want to delve into um, voting and some of those things that are hot topics right now as well. So sure. what did you want to, what did you want to get started with today? We I know can you brought start with that, that first topic, if you want to the, um, you know, like the uh, parks and what I would say probably non-essential services that the government provides, but that mm-hmm. we would consider to be pretty important, right? Yeah. So, sorry, if you want to, do you want to head into that first or I can yeah. get going? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, one, one of the big questions that I, that I know a lot of people have and that I have is um, a lot of people really appreciate the national parks and um, that land that's out there mm-hmm. free, you know, not free, you know, a lot of times you do have to pay to get on or what have you, but but yeah. free to roam around and, and free of um, of the hustle and bustle of the city and all of that. Yeah. A lot of people really value that space. And so I know some people have a concern that without the the government being in, in control of that area, you know, there's there's different things that could happen, um, whether it gets industrialized or, you know, cities, um, people build homes out there and what have you. So I know there's like some different thought processes that people have. So I'm curious to see what you think would be an ideal situation um, in a stateless society with the national parks. Sure. So the first thing I would like to cover is this idea that the environment goes to crap by corporatism if the um, if the government like ceases to do parks activity or you know mm-hmm. some some sort of uh, wildlife maintenance stuff like that and so first what I'd like to start off on is just the this misconception of corporatism um, corporatism mm-hmm. as itself is a governmental entity it's a governmental philosophy so whenever a company obtains um, powers through political or legal processes that otherwise would not have in a market environment at, that we call that corporatism, uh, legally protected entities. That's not, you know, what <laughs> that's uh, people associate like ANCAPs or um, just anarchists in general with the solutions being, we'll let the corporations do it. That's like not right. it entirely because corporations implies uh, the existence of a state. So, uh, I know a lot of uh, like the right wing authoritarian people, they, or even the you know a lot. Of, ironically, the ANCOMs and even just the statist um, progressives in general, they say that uh, the guys in the bottom right corner of the political compass are just okay with the corporations taking everything, with the uh, <laughs> McNukes and everything. But that's kind of like the opposite of what we'd want, and so. The answer to it is not going to be corporatism. Uh, so it's not going to be some so, sort of uh, oppressive, aggressive corporation, since we don't want a state anyways. Um, right. Another myth that I'd like to cast out is that um, by protecting these certain environments that we call parks, the government's upholding environmentalism entirely, which is not true. So if you think about it, it has to fund uh, that the, its protection somehow, and how it's going to do it is by deriving um, income, you know, from tax revenue. And so right. the it's going to <laughs> it's going to use inevitably uh, urbanization to generate its fuel for um, protecting those areas. So in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, it's kind of not doing it at all it's just kind of disguising it it kind of takes on the 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 state is really good at this it takes on masks 
in order to mm-hmm. make people feel like it's doing a good job at something. So we look at places like Yellowstone and we think, wow, the government's just doing this great job of maintaining the environment. The reality, no, the government loves urbanization. The government loves to take over land, have, have places settled, have just absolutely horrible things happen to the environment. In fact, uh, a lot of the environmental laws that we would, <laughs> a lot of people would point to fingers at and say, yeah, that protects the environment. Not really. A lot of them, a lot of those laws and regulations were formed by committees of uh, like legal counsel for industry leaders of the very people who destroy environments. They're just they've they've made these laws selectively so that they benefit their host industries. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of a a big misconception. Um, This. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. And no, I was just going to say to expand on that, something that I touched on with um, Jamie Kane, and I think it was episode four of this podcast is that, um, you know, the United States federal government is one of the world's biggest polluters as is. So it's kind of one of those things like regulations for thee and not for me kind of thing. You know, they're going to impose, um, you know, these straw bans and all of these things on us. Whereas they don't really have to follow by the same rules. So while we're all, you know, trying to save the environment or what have you, they're actively being the worst polluters of the environment. So uh, it just kind of goes to show that, you know, the government or the state um, typically acts in its own interest um, while imposing a rule on you. You know, it, it acts to the opposite of that and it allows its corporate interests to do the same thing. So... Yeah, for sure. I'd say even if we had a government that like actually (laughs) a lot of people, uh, you know, they say that what we don't have an issue. We actually don't have an issue with government. We just have an issue with the current government. You and I'd probably say (laughs) that we actually do have an issue with government as as an idea from a philosophical standpoint. But just Mm -hmm. just to address on that argument that they present. Um, I'd say humans generally, unless they're well-principled individuals, are very lazy and very polluted. And democracy or even a representative, uh, like a republic, a representational uh, form of government, they're inherently going to be lazy and polluted because the vast majority of people are like that. And if you look at the vast majority of people that take part in politics, urbanites generally, because the vast majority of people in general live in cities Mm -hmm. and no one's going to question whether an urban setting is pollutive or not, or not. Of course they are. Right. So (laughs) the, the, the the idea that government is going to inherently be against pollution. Let's, let's say that government is pure and really does the will of the people. Well, I don't (laughs) trust those people to do what's in the best interest of the, of the environment. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a great point um, as well. Um, so you know, one of one of the ideas that um, that I've kind of been playing with in my mind is that um, let's say the state were to dissolve um, tomorrow, right? right? And so we have these national parks. I, one of my ideas is that um, you have the the park rangers and things i would like to see you know maybe those same people that already that already are out there caring for that land um 
to maybe maybe put that land into their hands to where they can actually still be the stewards of that land, maintaining that land and what have you, but more on a privatized um, system where people can still pay to go, you know, roam the trails and, and camp and, and uh, fish and hunt and all of those things. Um, well, I guess they don't, you know, typically fish and hunt on the national parks, but, you know, uh, you kind of get the point to where um, people can still generate a revenue for these, you know, these hosts of this land, um, these stewards of this land. It'll still get taken care of by these people that that already care about that land. They're already there day in and day out, you know, keeping an eye on it, protecting it and what have you. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Or would you think that there might be a better solution uh, for that? No, yeah, that's I mean, that's. <laughs> the if you look on my page the mm-hmm. vast majority of my page like the pictures that come from my page where i'm out in the wilderness doing whatever uh mm-hmm. that's not coming from some sort of public park or something something governmentally protected it's coming from private land that's owned mm-hmm. by a hunting lease and or mm-hmm. i'm sorry that has a, a, a lease with a business it's a timber business and now i have all sorts of issues with the timber industry already but the idea still remains is that <laughs> it doesn't have to be this governmentally protected thing in order to for a generic group of people to derive benefit from the land itself. Um, I think that in general, a place will be protected whenever there is some sort of profit incentive. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's going to have its own corrupting portion on its own, which sucks. And uh, I think it's going to have to be mitigated by us, uh, by well-principled people to the best of our ability. I, I think this subject in general prompts, I say this well-principled individual quite a bit. Um, the reality is, is without statelessness, you have to be well-principled in order for this stuff to work. Mm-hmm. So a gov- uh, I've, I've described this, especially a lot of my past, on my previous page, um, I haven't addressed it as much as I'd like to on my new one. I'm going to have to do that. But so th- the government in general, it allows society to not be a civilization. So whenever we talk about civilization, the name <laughs> name civilization implies that people get along and derive benefit from each other's relationships by right. their own voluntary will. The right. fact that we have to impose a government to control the, the ways that we have relationships with other people by the use of force, like you put a gun to someone's head and you say, you uh, you get along with these other people or else, that shows that we're not a civilization. Or at least under a government, under the incentive of do or die, we're not a civilization. In order to live in good correspondence, in a good relationship with the land, with wilderness, we have to be well-principled people to actually live in a civilization. So whatever you talk about, you know, anarchy, ANCAP, even ANCOM, stuff like that, having a good community based on the voluntary interactions between individuals, that requires people to be well-principled. It requires the very best of humanity. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, other uh, people who aren't of that philosophy will say, well, you ANCAPs, you anarchists or whatever, you expect people to act like that. No, we don't. In fact, the whole reason that we oppose states <laughs> is because we don't. We, we don't expect really anybody, even people of our own breed, to act like that. But it's a principle that we're willing to commit our mentality to. And so 
um, in order for us to maintain a good relationship with the wilderness, with you know planet Earth, without the government being involved, uh, it requires us to be good humans, be good stewards of the Earth. And yeah. so um, whether that be some sort of holistic look at uh, how we interact with wilderness um, and how we raise people to be uh, have good manners and, and uh, you know, act politely towards the wilderness without any incentive or whether it be through some sort of profit incentive through private business. That's just something we're going to have to obtain is being good human people. Um, you know, we're, we're put out, we're here on earth to be good stewards. Uh, that, that is the relationship that we are to have with the earth. We are the, as far as we know, from what we've discovered, really the only truly logical, rational creatures here on earth. And it's our job to to protect as much as we can. And I will say, I say, I keep saying how we're we're supposed to do this without the government being involved. Um, I don't think even with the government involved that this is how we're acting. I think people are still incredibly like incredibly disrespectful of nature, of the wilderness, of even uh, places like Yellowstone and uh, you know, just, what we would consider wonderful parks in general, people aren't really, they go there for the majesty and the fact that Yellowstone's popular. They don't go there because they as people have outstanding relationships with wilderness. I think Mm -hmm. as a general rule, that's probably a a good way to go. And we need to make that not so. Right. You know, uh, if, uh, and so even with the government there, people don't respect this earth even with even if a government was let's say god forbid if our the u.s federal government was uh, a million times as strong as it is now and it forced oh, that right-wing <laughs> environmentalist you know whenever you see the uh um those online niche um, personalities that uh, there's some great ones but there's some that are just like uh completely eco-fascist and whatnot and mm. Dude, even if that government was a thing, people still would not respect nature. They're not complying out of respect for nature. They're complying out of fear for their life. And we need to make it to where there is, you know, the shopping cart theory, where you return the shopping cart without any good benefit to yourself. You do it because you're a good person. That needs to be our approach with how we treat nature. It's I'd say nature is probably the real life shopping cart theory. Um, you get, you personally, you know, your children or their, your grandchildren might see the detriments of you not treating the earth well, but you here, right. As we speak, you might not ever see any issue with treating the earth as your, your own garbage bin, but you should do it. Not because you're seeing some sort of detriment. You should do it because you're a good person. You should, you should treat the earth with respect because you're a good person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it stands, um, you know, I I think it should be pointed out as well, again, just going back to the state um, and and the polluting that's done on behalf of the state and this corporatism um, that we have, you know, without such a large state, without um, these government agents that are able to defend, you know, these regulations that are put forth by these corporate interests and what have you, 
and these these massive corporations, like you said, they wouldn't exist without the state backing them. And so I think that would that's another point that people miss is that in a stateless society, we may not have the same type of uh, of industrialization that we have now. Um, you know where these uh, these corporations are able to come into a certain place and just just totally demolish you know these vast uh, swaths of land. Um, you know, people say, well, they could just hire mercenaries or what have you. And, and sure. But I think that something that I like to point out is that people in order in order to get to a stateless society, people have, will have to have already, you know, come to the agreement of accepting the, the non-aggression principle. They'll have to have rejected this idea that violence is okay when it's um, enacted by, you know, group A because they have a particular badge or a particular title or what have you. Um, So some of those things I think would be less put up with because if you just have one corporation that has a handful of mercenaries versus the entire state that has, you know, millions upon millions of of soldiers and, and cops and what have you. Um, it, it's an easier battle to fight, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, but for us, right, it's like, so we've already committed. So uh, let me let me put it this way. So if we were to say, uh, <laughs> in order for, like, uh, this is going off of what you said. Mm-hmm. In order for us to get to a stateless society, we have to have already, people in general have to have committed to the NAP, the non-aggression principle. So right. a lot of, a lot of guys would say, well, not necessarily, you know, that a corporate or a company itself, a business itself might rise up as an oppressor. Uh, it should be addressed that we're not talking about some sort of chaos landscape from fallout or something like that. We're talking right. about a society specifically, a stateless society. Um, let's say it this way, a, a stateless society where a company has uh, hired a bunch of mercenaries and risen up as a ruler, that's not a stateless society. That's still a society governed by a state. It's just the state itself came from a different or- origin than signing a document, like a political document. Right. So we, you have to uh, expand that idea of what a government is. So the instead of uh, you know looking at a government as you do with, say, the U.S. federal government, a modern political view, you look at government as from the definition govern. So mm-hmm. govern means what to control or limit or regulate with the use of force. So uh, some sort of corporation would definitely fall under that if they're, um, you know, if they're using hired mercenaries to enforce their will. We don't want that. We are. Exactly. That's not that's not what we're, we're proposing. We're proposing a stateless society where no one rules over anybody else with the use of force. And now, granted, as long as humans exist, there's always going to be, at the very least, a side that combats our desire. Right. But I think what we want is, in general, um, the basic human desire. If you accept that, as a human, that you want to be free and you want to be safe, then um, whichever human wants, then mm-hmm. you essentially advocate for a stateless society. But people will get all these misconceptions and they'll allow excuses for what they would consider safe and free. So to want yeah. to not be ruled 
by the use of force, it's not an unreasonable request. That's every human wants that. A lot of people act like the ANCAP, anarchist, whatever, are what our beliefs are based on is unreasonable. They're not. They are what every human wants. We're just pure with it. Right, exactly. I mean, every every person understands. Don't hit. Don't take other people's stuff. Yeah, it's the you know it's the basic thing that we're taught in a you know elementary school, and it's just taken to its to its extreme, <laughs> um, in a sense conclusion. that yeah, it's it's logical conclusion exactly. Um, you know that you don't hit and you don't take you don't steal from anybody ever, uh, regardless of of what costume you're wearing or what title you may possess or you know, what you've written down on a piece of paper or what have you. Or who pays you. Or who pays you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, I think you, uh, we were also going to kind of discuss, um, homesteading and, and things, uh, to take this, you know, further, um, yeah. away from the environmentalism and more into, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about, um, again, kind of let's, let's take it back to the national parks and say that, um, the state were to dissolve and here's all this open land. And maybe, you know, we don't have a, a system set in place, um, for it to be taken over by a particular corporation or by any private person. Um, I've had people that have suggested, well, you know, as long as you can build a fence around a certain amount of land and you're in control of that land and then that's yours, um, and then I know there's, I think it's, I guess the, like the mutualism view, if I'm not mistaken, I, I haven't read up too much on them, but, um, basically the view that if you're not using a particular portion of your land, it's free for the taking. Um, and I know that's kind of something that like, you know, people on the bottom portion of the political spectrum, um, you know, anarchists, uh, whether they're, um, left wing or right wing or what have you, they have this kind of discussion as to as to property rights and, and what considers or what, what's considered as, as valid, um, property ownership. Right. What, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So, uh, this is, uh, how I get into this is going to be kind of nuanced. So, mm. um, first off, I'd like to say when it comes to owning land and the stuff that grows on it, this is a socially driven Thing. So I'd say you as a person have natural rights um, and which orient from your natural human dignity that's given to you by the creator upon your conception. So these that's what in my in my in my mind, uh, that's where this stuff comes from. It's the only logical, con logically consistent way that we can have natural rights. Um, mm -hmm. If you yourself have something that's more valuable uh, that is is valuable in just your existence. It's inherent to you. So um, since you have this natural human dignity and since you own yourself, you own your time and your labor. And mm -hmm. since you own your time and your labor, whatever you buy is inherently yours. You have an inherent right to it uh, because it's uh, it's been given, it's been acquired uh, through your labor, which is a derivative from your body. So that, that's where the whole idea of like taxation is more than stuff. Taxation is slavery comes from. So mm -hmm. since people are taxing your money, your money is derived from your um, intellectual prowess, your, the way you involve your mind and the sweat of your body, the labor of your body. If they're taxing your money away, they're taxing the way your mind and your body. And so, which is yeah. so that's where that comes from now. Mm -hmm. And so that 
logically the conclusion is, well, if you buy land, then it's and naturally uh, yours, right? It's, it's yours. Now, this is where the nuance comes in. I don't think from a general perspective, we as humans, I don't think we actually own land. Um, I think the ownership of land, it comes to us as a social, um, you know, social interaction with other humans. And insofar mm -hmm. as we, re we act with other humans, then we, by necessity of our social relationship, we own the land. And so this, this can be logically derived. And so it's by, by that, I mean, um, another human hasn't uh, put in to acquire that land with uh, right. you know, the time and the effort. And so they have to, or there is no half, they should morally respect uh, your purchase of that land with your time, effort, and mental energy. The reason I say I don't, I personally don't think humans own land is I think land, the earth in general, is a, uh, you know, ownership is a very human construct, and the earth itself right. is derived from humanity. Um, if the entire human species died, there'd be environmental consequences for the earth, but inevitably the earth itself will find equilibrium without us. Uh, it is not our product, it is not our service. And ultimately, there's no way that humans, humans themselves, have no right uh, to the earth other than the fact that we are made stewards by God for it. Um, and so, obviously, if you're an atheist, you're probably going to disagree about that. I don't know your personal beliefs, but um, even if you're an atheist uh, or any of your listeners are atheists, they're probably going to have to agree that at the end of the day, the earth, the wilderness, nature, it's quintessentially more <laughs> more value than what a human can purchase it with mm. there's there's no amount of human effort that you can ever put in to really acquire land land is just far too valuable it's far too uh in my, in my mind it's spiritual land is a spiritual phenomenon um the wilderness is a spiritual phenomenon but uh so that that's why i believe that land itself can, can never really truly be bought by man. It's only a derivative of the natural rights and a social, uh, you know, a, a, social, a social interaction. But at the okay. same time, I think that the best possibility for saving the environment from a human standpoint, if the state were to end, is through private property ownership. So, yeah. For example, the, you know, we have American bison. Um, uh, or for people that don't know, is that the the American buffalo is actually the American bison. It's not a buffalo. Right. Bison. So right. <laughs> uh, the reason that we have the American bison is originally it was going to go extinct, but a farmer who's a very wealthy farmer, I think he's actually a pop culture icon. I can't remember his name. Um, he uh, acquired the last remaining American bison and raised them on his land, and now they're actually a flourishing species up in the up in that area. So. He, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I'm an Eagle Scout, Boy Scouts of America. Boy Scouts of America, I would say, have done massive uh, leaps and bounds for the environment. Um, I mean, you could probably do a Google search and just figure out just how much um, wildlife, just how much land the Boy Scouts of America as an organization preserves, or at least used to preserve until they, before they went all catastrophic on us. But, um, and then... 
to address this on a basic level, you as a person, whenever you own land, have more incentive to preserve land than the government does whenever the government manages land. Right. So you have invested your money, your, uh, your labor, the labor of your body and the fruit of your mind to acquire land. You have an mm-hmm. instinctive interest to make sure what happens to that land is okay. The vast majority of people are going to do a better job taking care of that land um, than the government will, as long as their purpose is is true, is valuable. Now, there's some people, yeah. you know, there's, I say that, and there's some people, uh, I have a neighbor who just dumps massive amounts of trash in his land. Absolutely horrible. But what I'm talking about is a well-principled person is more likely to take care of their land uh, whenever they buy it as a private owner, especially if they have some sort of uh, invested interest in it, like farming um, or some sort of agricultural or production um, interest in that land. They're likely, you, you already have the incentive whenever you make the purchase. If you put a lot of money down on land, I there's, there's, there's variants out there. There's, you know, there's always the outliers, but the, I'd say the average person with a good moral head on their shoulders will take care of the land if they put a good, uh, you know, a good uh, payment down on it. Um, and right. They're deriving a profit from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, whether they're deriving a profit from it or not, I think that's, I mean, that just goes to, to ownership of just about anything. I mean, if you buy a new vehicle and, you know, you drop uh, 20 grand on it, you're going to want to take care of it. You yeah, know, if you sure. put a lot of time and time and uh, energy into, you know, uh, getting the funds for this vehicle or for, you know, you bought a new PlayStation or you bought whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever you've put your time and labor into, uh, to, to buying, you're going to want to take care of it. So that's, you know, that's, that's a really great point. Um, which again, kind of leads me back to, um, my thought of, of this, the, the park rangers, um, who are already kind of presiding over the land that they might be somebody who already has a vested interest in this, you know, particular space who cares about the land, who's familiar with it and what have you. Um, that might be a, a good, you know, place to put the, the, the land into another thought that I've had, um, I know that, you know, race is a big thing right now in the United States, uh, all over the world, really, but especially in the United States. And I know that, um, you know, the United States promised to, uh, to, to freed slaves that they were owed um, reparations, 40 acres and a mule. And uh, maybe we can't provide the mule, but one idea that I've always kind of had is that, um, you know, take the land that's federally owned, whether it be um, parks or, uh, or courthouses or what have you, and give it back to, you know, the people that whether they be the natives, whether they be African Americans, or, you know, anybody else who feels as though they might have been oppressed, you know, racially or for any whatever reason. Um, if, if they wanted to do that, you know, if the state dissolved and said, all right, we're giving all this land to, you know, this group of people, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. I think maybe that could be kind of a healing, you know, thing for, for, um, race relations in this country. Is that ever, anything you've ever kind of thought about? Well, my concern with that would be whether they actually have the incentive to, whether they're the ideal thing would be, uh, yeah, let the, regardless of race, I think, mm. I think we're all equally oppressed under, the tyranny of the state. I think some people have been affected by it historically more than others, but right. as a guiding principle, I think we're all kind 
kind of slaves to the state. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd gosh, that's a really hard topic because it, it's hard to go from saying people will take care of land um, if they have like a vested interest in it, and then go right from there to saying like, and I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, but just go from there to saying just give it to people. Right. You know what I mean? So I my worry yeah. is that, and this doesn't come from any racially driven idea at all. I think it would happen if the same if, if it was white people, but I'm afraid that if you just hand land away to people, that it's going to go very, um, it's not going to be respected very much because people are just going to treat it like they have no vested interest in it. Um, because I, they haven't earned it. Right. right. They, they, but, you know, I'm not going to act as a government to change. I'm not going to evict them away from the land. No. Acting as a government with the use of force if <laughs> if they were given land. That's yeah. really not my say. But um, I, I think that in order for that to occur, that would also require a lot of centrally driven effort and it would mm. kind of require a government to do it. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, so. yeah, that, that's a, that's, that's definitely a fair point. I guess, I mean, I, I guess to, to expand on that, it would have to be something more of like, if you can make it out here and, and take this land and, you know, make it your own, then it's free, kind of a yeah. free for all, you true, know what I mean? And, and I would have no issue. Exactly. If you're exactly. making true homesteading where it says, um, where we, we as a society say, go out there and claim your land. It's your land is whatever you can manage. And <laughs> honestly, at that point, it's going to get dangerous. I'm going to tell you, obviously we have no issue with that because the more freedom you have, the more danger that's going to be involved. We probably don't really have any issue with that. We want to be safe. But the fact that we're willing to throw away the idea of like authority protecting us mm -hmm. probably means that we have no issue with danger. But it's going to come down to people are going to get into really lethal altercations over land. And I yeah. personally, you know, that happens. It's going to happen in regular society. People get into lethal altercations with the existence of a state or not. But so people will, people will fight over that land. We just have to, as a group of principled individuals, decide at what point we're, we're willing to um, tolerate that sort of stuff amongst, you know, in our midst. Um, but I personally have no issue with if there's land available and people are going to go out and claim, make a claim, and have a vested interest in the land. I have no issue with that. I mean, it's really no different than there being a piece of property up for sale. All right. right and you making the purchase, except in this case, it's you, the purchase is with your, your sweat and your blood, right? You're going mm -hmm. out there and you're claiming it over other settlers. You're taking your rifle in your hands and going out there and laying a, a flag down and saying, this is mine. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's been my understanding of, you know, rightfully owned property. If you haven't purchased it is that you have taken control of it you have put in you, you have put the uh the land to use you've put the um you know the soil to use you've grown crops you've um maybe you've cut down a tree and built a home with it or, or what have you that you've actually taken that land and put it to use um for something good whether it's just for yourself or whether it's for manufacturing or what have you if it wasn't previously owned and you've turned it into something that that is now your rightful property right um i think it's the philosophy of liberty uh by ken schooland i think is his name where he says that um 
property is that part of nature that we have um, turned into something useful. Basically, if, if, if I might be I might be uh, misquoting him there, but so, something along those lines. So yeah, I mean, um, I'd expound on that and say like, ideally, that's what we'd like to, to be the case, right? Um, I'd say it's also going to come down to whether you can protect, protect it or not, because there, a guy, it's really easy for a guy to come up to you, and um, if you don't have people on the on the street, you know, patrolling the street. Regardless of what you think of them or not, I think you and I are probably agree what we feel on law enforcement. But if you don't have those people, what makes your house your house and not some sort of raider's house is your ability to defend it. And so I think yeah. what we're talking about is the moral ideal of philosophy, or I'm sorry, the moral ideal of uh, property. Um, for me, I don't necessarily even think you have to do something useful with it. I, you know, I don't really give a damn whether. I'm putting a good use to a certain piece of my property. If it's mine, it's mine. But, right. but uh, with that being said, we, ideally we'd want people to be doing good with it. Um, but there's a lot of factors to consider there. And um, it's that collision. We are, according to our beliefs, we are people of idealism. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I've been called a utopist, you know, someone who wants a, <laughs> a utopia. The reality is, is that as anarchists, we have to say, Here's the utopia. Here's your reality. We've got to make them consistent, right? And so, right. I do that. You know, my my whole thing with the, my page is that it's also it's not just anarchism. It, like Christianity is my first thing, and I just think that the ideal of absolute freedom stems from Christianity, or at least you know, with the idea of that you are created by God, and you have inalienable human rights mm. from your creation of God, and I think that. I, I inevitably have to mate that view of reality with my ideals. And so like we say, we talk about property rights, that ability to defend has to come in there. Uh, mm-hmm. whenever we're talking about, um, you know, what the, the, the way it applies to real life. Ideally we'd say it's from our efforts, from our, whether we acquire it with our, our sweat and our blood and our tears and, and or with money or if we could put good use to it but another huge portion of it is going to come down to protection and Mm -hmm. with us advocating for liberty um liberty always comes at the exchange of security so it's yeah people are going to have to write themselves everybody wants to be a homesteader until you actually have to do homestead and shit (laughs) yeah yeah i think protection um that's a good that's a good point to bring up is, you know, like you said, I, I don't really give a damn what you do with your land. If you, um, you know, I would hope that you're not doing something that's causing pollution on to my land or to somebody else's, but you know, if you're not really putting much use to your land, I don't really care. However, if you haven't visited this one corner of your land and, and, you know, three years and there's been a guy living there for the past three years and you get into a shootout with him, you might find that in, you know, a private court system or, um, you know, just in your little community that the people might side with the, the man that was living there for the past three years that you didn't even know about, you know what I mean? Right. And so I think it, it comes down to, like you said, it, it comes down to defending the home, but then it also, um, just kind of comes down to what the society um, in that particular area accepts as, you know, reasonable use of force. Um, So I I think that's something that's important to point out is that while we can definitely 
have principles that we stand behind there is room for gray areas Mm -hmm. at times and there's going to be room for people to make judgments um you know based on the particular circumstances that there's not always a black and white uh yes and no right and wrong answer to every single situation yeah so i can i can make an example going off of what you just mentioned so and the your listeners will probably with what you just said like someone who you haven't been using your land for three years someone else starts using your land and makes some claim to the property ownership, right? Mm-hmm. The way I'm going to explain it, it's going to probably make some people, they'll take their take one side one moment, and then immediately after hearing the next one, they'll probably switch sides. Okay, so, okay. Um, so you haven't used your land for, let's say, not just three years, a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay? You haven't used your land, that, por- that portion of your land for a decade. Someone else has built their home on it and is using that, that um, land for a great utility source, right? And so they've derived a lot of personal gain off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this, we're talking about a moral stance, not a not a reality application stance. We're talking about a moral stance. So that that okay. guy's obviously deriving higher utility out of that land than the original owner, right? Mm-hmm. Some people would say, well, they have um, the absolute claim to that land because they're doing great with things with it. They're using it to their own sustainment. Uh, they're putting in effort to acquire that land, right? So with that being said, and I'm not necessarily saying I disagree with that, but with that being said, does that, the, the work, the utility that they're deriving that from the land in the present cancel out the original um, acquisition made by the original owner? Let's say that original owner mm-hmm. put $300,000 $300, down onto that land. Well, does the fact that they're not using that, or let's say they fought battles over that land. They lost men mm. to acquire that, that land in a homesteading situation. They lost a son to acquire that land. Right? Yeah. So at what point does that cost balance out the other or overturn the other? And right. The initial one, say, like if, say I lost a son or a friend in a battle to obtain some land as a homesteader, or let's say I put 15 years down developing some land as a homesteader, completely peaceful. Um, I'm making some sort of Amish community or something like that out on, you know, a hundred acres worth of land. And just simply because we're usually restricted to the confines of our community means we don't necessarily go out and visit the corners and we haven't visited that, that corner for 10 decades and someone else has, has set up there. Well, I've spent 15 years developing the land. Does that mean just because I haven't visited that corner in a long time, does that mean I'm losing my right to the the land that I acquired with my time and dedication? Hmm. You know, and so I'm not saying that side's right either. Right. Yeah. It's a very great, it's a gray area. And that's what exactly find application with the principle, with the ideological principle, you're going to find gray areas because that's the way life is. Yeah, there's not going to be absolutes in life. We'd like for there to be there. We'd like for there to always be a right answer. But the reality is the way we socially interact with people and with the world, it's going to change fundamentally with, mm-hmm. you know, change one factor about a situation. Well, the principles immediately change. And I'd like to say each the way that you that we, we talk about it being gray, that the situations being gray. I'd like to say that the the application of a principle doesn't change the only thing that changes is the situation and that changes mm-hmm. the way you interact with that principle but the principle maintains the same i'd like to say that and i think that's probably true um you know that the, the principle remains 
don't hurt people unless they hurt you. Do unto others right. like to be treated. The golden rule and the non-aggression principle go hand in hand. Try to use mm-hmm. those to the best of your ability consistently. I'd like to say that. And as far as what I've seen is there's really no reason to say that either of those things should be thrown out the window. The, the issue is that we have limited capacities to apply our intellect. And so we're not always going to be able to generate good decision-making using our moral principles, but as being principled human beings, that's what we should advocate for is being the best that humanity has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we are coming up on, we're about uh, 50 minutes into this. So, um, let's, you know, kind of wrap it up, um, about, you know, about five minutes. Um, give me kind of, I know you, you spoke on a Christianity for a moment there and, um, you had asked earlier, personally, I'm an atheist, but, um, I did grow up, um, in a Christian household. So I, you know, I understand a lot of it. Um, but, uh, for real, real quick, and I know you've talked about this on other podcasts, but real quick for somebody that's, you know, maybe listening right now, that's a Christian, but is not an anarchist or a libertarian or what have you. Um, if you can do it in five minutes, I don't, I don't know if you need a whole hour, um, program for it, but you know, how do you get from Christian to anarchist, I guess? Yeah. So as a Christian, you accept that you're made in the image and likeness of God. Okay. Well, first, as a Christian, you accept that there is a God. <laughs> no, no offense, man, but I, <laughs> no, no, you're fine, I you're fine. distinction should be made. And so, and then going from that, you accept that God created everything. And as a Christian, you believe that God um, created man in the image and likeness of God, you know, of himself. Right. And you know that um, just from there, we could already be going there. And I think just that alone. If you, if you, uh, so let's, let's put it this way. Um, you are not called to harm God in any way. Okay. Mm. So, um, the presumption is that God isn't going to intentionally harm you in any way either. But so then the human application comes in. They're also human. They're human as well as being made in the image and likeness of God. So you cannot harm innocent people. Okay. Right. So this is the moral derivative of that. And so as a Christian, can't do it. Government is derived on the idea of harming individual harming innocent people. Mm-hmm. Because government, I'm just not talking just about the modern government. I'm talking about the idea of government in general to govern means to use force, right. you know, political or legal force to control the lives of an, of, of a general population. So if you advocate for government, you must accept that you're willing to harm or at least use the threat of harm to control their lives. It's, it's, it is unbecoming of a Christian. It is inconsistent with Christianity. And then there's, there's numerous other scriptures. Like the entirety of Christ's sermon is just mm. completely incompatible with the idea of a state. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. No false idols. Uh, <laughs> you you right. have to choose a ruler for yourself. You you must choose God over other earthly rulers. Um, I think that's one of the most important people. ones. Yeah, I mean, it, and ultimately, that's going to be, you know, if if you decide that you have to use force in order to uphold God's law, well, then you've made an idol. Mm. Because although 
you accept that God's law is what is desired, the key point for you becomes the force you're willing to do it. You've made an idol. Mm. Well, uh, for anybody that wants to listen to more about that, um, I think you were on the E-Militia podcast and you kind of broke down all of that. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So um, if anybody wants to hear more about that perspective, I would encourage you to check out the E-Militia podcast. I didn't get to listen to that whole episode, but I did, um, you know, check out the first uh, few minutes of it and where you're kind of going with that. And it was really interesting. So I definitely plan on jumping back into that. But um, we are coming up um, to time, so uh, we didn't get into some of the other stuff. I'm going to have to have you back on another on another episode if you'd like. I'd love to, dude. Awesome. Excellent. Well, I greatly appreciate you coming on today. I think we, uh, while we didn't get into all of the topics, I think we definitely covered the, you know, the environmental um, aspect and the, the homesteading and all of that pretty well. Um, definitely got some questions, um, more questions bubbling up in my mind than maybe I had starting, but, uh, but that's always a good thing, I think. So, well, hopefully I can be back on to answer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and you have yourself a good night, brother. Dude, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. Thanks for tuning in to Break the State Podcast. If you want to support this show, you can do so by becoming a contributor for as little as 99 cents per month over at anchor.fm forward slash break the state forward slash support. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M forward slash break the state forward slash support. I want to give a big thanks once again to the Marauder Project for joining me on this podcast today. I highly recommend giving him a follow over on Instagram. His new page again is at marauder.rises. And while you're there, be sure to give my backup account a follow just in case I'm a victim of the next big zuckening. And that is at break underscore the underscore state. You can also find me on YouTube where I upload each episode of the Friday after its original release date. And finally, you can also find me on Facebook. So be sure to like and follow there. So that's going to be it for me today, y'all. Until next time, remember, an individual who owns themselves will always choose dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery.